When I minister, I typically reveal the title of my message right up front. But today's a little bit different. I'll reveal it eventually here, but it'll be a few minutes down the road. Because I want to kind of lay a little bit of a foundation so that the message title isn't too weird on you. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that a family heirloom has been passed down to you. An heirloom that has been in your family for many years. In addition to its monetary value, it has even greater sentimental value. After all, it's been in your lineage for generations. Now that this object, this heirloom, is in your possession, let's carry this charade one step further. I want you to see yourself building a brand new home. And it comes time to pour the foundation for that home. The cement trucks have backed in. The chutes are down. The mixers are turning. And tons and tons of concrete pour forth. While that is happening, you grab your family heirloom and you wade out into that soupy mix. And you take that heirloom and you plunge it into the concrete. And then you take your hands off of it and the concrete swallows it up. You'll never see that heirloom ever again. Now I want to ask you two questions. The first one is simply this. Technically speaking, do you still possess that family heirloom? You'll never lay eyes on it again, but you do possess it. But the second question is this. Does that peculiar example of extravagant waste make any sense to you at all? The answer is unequivocally no. It would make no sense at all to do something like that. Something that you cherish, something that you value so much. There are a number of books in the Bible that reveal the priceless gospel of the finished work we call grace. Yet it appears as though this precious jewel, I call it, has been buried beneath the concrete of the Mosaic law and concealed from many people within even the body of Christ. Now, when I speak of the finished work of the gospel of grace, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the plan of salvation, hear me closely now, that is not obtained, maintained, or retained by any performance on the believer's part. Are you with me? That's the gospel. That's grace. It is not obtained by you. In other words, you don't achieve it, okay? It is not maintained by you, and it is not retained by your own performance, okay? Grace is the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor and gift of God. That sure is. Otherwise, you'd never have it. You can never be good enough. Like the family heirloom hidden beneath the stone foundation, the stone-cold mosaic law is the very cement that hides the priceless gospel of the finished work of grace beneath its weight and beneath its rigidness, selah. Selah means pause and think about what you just heard. It's a musical term pause. 
and think about that. That it's only the law that could hide and ignorance that could hide this precious jewel because she is so beautiful. She is so bright. Of course, we're talking about Jesus, right? We're not just talking about a substance. We're talking about Jesus himself. Believers do not debate the settled truth that we obtain salvation from the Lord apart from performance. In other words, I don't usually run into a believer that wants to argue that point. They'll say, no, I believe I was saved by grace. But somehow people fall into the snare, the trap, if you will, of believing that they have to maintain this gift that God has given them and they have to retain. Now, there's a lot of things that I have obtained in life, even through achieving or working hard. I've obtained those things and then I found out later I couldn't maintain what I had in my possession. And there's times when I obtained certain things and I felt like I was doing a pretty good job maintaining it but somehow in the end, I couldn't retain it. So you see, with Christ, he does all of that for us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, there's that word, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now that word obtain there does not mean that we might achieve or that we might earn mercy. No, you can't achieve or earn mercy. It's undeserved favor. But that word obtain there means receive. So the scripture literally reads that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You ever had a time of need? Oh yeah. Now, a few weeks ago, I was introduced to a term or an expression or a phrase, I guess is a better way to say it, that I had never heard before. I asked my wife one night, what was for supper? She said, we are having grass-fed, grass-finished burgers. My mind knew what to do with part of what she said, but there was no compartment in my mind that could understand the backside of what she said. You see, the grass-fed part I got, because we're talking about cattle that have grown up in pastures and have eaten healthier. We call it organic meat. I got that part, but when she said grass finished, I'm like, grass finished? What is that? The phrase actually refers to cattle that have spent their entire lives on a diet in the pasture. That's all they've ever known. Even cattle that spend most of their lives in a pasture, eating the healthier grasses, all that good stuff that just grows there. When it comes time to take those cattle to market, most of them are taken to a feedlot because they want them to gain a lot of weight because if they weigh more, they bring more money. That's all that's all about. And gaining five to six pounds a day, you thought you gained weight easily? five to six pounds a day, they really pack it on. And then after they spend time at a feedlot, now they are taken to the market where they are sold and they do bring more money at auction. Now, technically speaking, they should no longer be considered organic, yet they are sold as organic beef. In those feedlots, they're fed contaminated grain 
Again, the difference between grass-fed and grass-fed, grass-finished cattle is that cattle feed their entire lives in the pasture if they are grass-fed, grass-finished. There are no hormones, there are no injections, there are no antibiotics, there is no fattening campaign, there is no contaminated corn to feed them. Now, let's set aside everything I've just told you for just a moment and think about this as we begin to transition over into the spiritual thinking here. Most believers are in agreement that we fed on Jesus' grace when we were first saved. I don't usually, again, find people that want to argue about that. We fed on Jesus' grace when we were first saved. They began their Christian lives, their Christian walk, feeding in green pastures, the same kind of green pastures that David talked about in Psalm 23. But then, well-meaning preachers and teachers and apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and deacons and elders and family members and friends, they came along with the bright idea of fattening up their new converts so that they could serve in ministry. I want to tell you something. God has delivered me from the mentality that I was created to serve in ministry. Oh, I love serving in ministry, but that is not my identity. And if this all ended tomorrow, it would end tomorrow. This is not who I am. I am Mark. I am his son. And I will always be his son. I'm not into titles. I'm not into what I do. I was one month old in Jesus when they wanted to put me in charge of teaching the teens class. I said, what do I know about teaching teens? I'm one month old in Jesus. Your identity is not just to serve in ministry. So we come into this relationship with God. We're just enjoying all these luscious green pastures. The forage is so delicious. And then well-meaning friends come along and they say, you know what? You got a calling on your life. You got a gift working inside of you. We just need to hone that gift a little bit more and uh, we'll have you ready in no time. These new converts were fed the only food that the pastors and the ministers had in their cupboards. And I'll tell you what that food was. It was old covenant food that contained growth hormones. We need to grow you up. It was old covenant food that contained antibiotics. Don't mess with that sin, son. You're going to get sick. If you go to the show, you're going to get sick. God's going to be mad at you. That's just antibiotics. That's all that is and contaminated grain. We were fed a lot of contaminated grain. Now I'm passionate about this because I deal with believers that are having a hard, hard time because they don't know how to get rid of condemnation. I didn't plan on preaching this, but it fits right here. I won't tell you the whole story. But about three weeks ago, the Holy Spirit woke me up from a nap and said, call this particular person. And when I called that person, and that person is a believer, she was weeping. And she said, you don't know this. But she said, I have the knife to my throat. I was ready to pull it across my throat when your call came in. I said, only God could have known that. Only God could have known that. 
If I would have waited 10 seconds longer, the Holy Spirit was very urgent about that. He said, call her now, call her now. I hadn't talked to her in a couple of years. I didn't even know if I had her phone number. Call her now. She went on to tell me that people in her family told her how worthless she was. I said, young lady, you are none of that. Let me give you a perspective from daddy. And I ministered to her for 45 minutes. And I would tell you, before the sun set that day on Facebook, she was taking pictures of the sun. What a beautiful sunrise today. Listening to Christian music posted on Facebook. I'm not saying she's totally out of the deep woods in terms of getting this mind transformed. But I'm telling you, I run into stuff like this all the time. And when all that stuff's gone, I'll quit preaching like this, okay? So the problem with this kind of spiritual diet this old covenant diet is what it does is it snatches the newborn believer, that new creation, that tender shoot. It snatches them out of the green pasture and it says, you know what? You'd do better over here in the feedlot. Let's take you over there. No, the green pasture is always better. Their new diet now becomes a mixture of green pastures and green giant. And I'm telling you, it's a deadly concoction. This is where the problem begins for many believers and why so many get tired of grinding corn in an effort to please God. And then so many of them ultimately call it quits. Listen, I haven't met anybody yet that turned their back on Jesus. Jesus is good and Jesus will strengthen you. What they walk away from is the religious institution because that religious institution can be very bad and it's exhausting. You never do enough. You're just exhausted. It's like you have a spiritual autoimmune disease that you just never can seem to get free of. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians was quite turbulent. Now, why do we want to say it that way? Because we can learn stuff by tapping into other people's passions. Because if he's writing like this, then I would say he probably knows something that I don't know or I haven't learned yet, or he saw it up close and personal. But it's very turbulent, very turbulent. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, if anyone comes along and tells you that you have to add anything to the gospel of grace, he said, let that man be accursed. That is passionate language. He had something really stirring in his heart to talk like that. That's about as close to cussing as you can get from the Apostle Paul. He said, let that man be accursed. Do you notice he doesn't tell him to go fly a kite? He doesn't tell him to go jump in the lake. He doesn't tell him to go running up a flagpole. He doesn't go tell him to take a hike. He says, let that man be accursed. We're going to find out why he said that in just a minute. The Apostle Paul wanted to make certain, I believe, that his new converts knew that it was not Jesus plus, and it was not salvation minus, and it was not grace divided by. In fact, it was not even love multiplied by. It was grace through faith alone. Anytime you start mixing adding, multiplying, taking away from the recipe of grace alone, you end up with a mixture covenant, and it's devastating to people. Now, 
with all that framework in place, I want to minister for a few more minutes this morning to a message I'm calling Grace Fed, Grace Finished. And what I want you to see through the message today is that our covenant is obtained, maintained, and retained by grace alone. We are upheld by the righteousness of God in Christ. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, these words. God says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Oh man, what a treasury of promises. Isn't that yummy? Oh, that is so delicious. I could almost go over there and eat the words right off the wall. Isn't that wonderful? Let's look at this a little closer. It says, God says, fear not, for I am with you. Now, the neat thing about that right there is you don't need anything beyond this right here. If you would really believe that and get that down in your heart, when God says, fear not, for I am with you, that's all you need to know. All the other stuff is wonderful, but if God says, fear not, for I am with you, that should be enough. He said, I'm with you. He's not a spectator. How do I know? He says, I will help you. Spectators don't help you. They just watch. God says, I am with you. And then he says, be not dismayed. That word dismayed means don't be discouraged. What's the opposite of being discouraged? Encouraged, full of courage. He says, do not be discouraged. And then he says, okay, in case you didn't get it from the beginning, fear not, for I am with you. He says, for I am your God. Because I have found out over the years, there are people that are with you, but they are not for you. Oh, they'll walk with you for a little while, but when times get tough, they will forsake you. They will abandon you. Just like the hireling watching the sheep. The shepherd never abandons the sheep, but the hireling will if things get tough. For I am your God. He says, I will strengthen you. Strengthen you where? Do you need bigger biceps? Well, at times you probably do. But I'm going to strengthen you in your heart because some people's hearts want to faint on them. I'm going to strengthen you in your mind. I'm going to strengthen you in your emotional realm. I just get passionate when I see things like this. I will help you. And then he says... I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love that word uphold. Look at it right there. That's why I put it in red. That's why I emboldened that word right there. He says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That word uphold right there, if you look that word uphold up in the Hebrew concordance, I guarantee, because I had to look it up two or three times, go, are you really? Are you sure, Daddy? It's there. It's right there in the Hebrew concordance. That word means I will obtain. It says I will maintain and I will retain. All three of those words are there underneath that word right there. It's the Hebrew word tarmac. But it's a powerful word. What he's saying here, he says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Well, who's sitting at God's right hand? <laughs> Oh, man, you just got to read into this stuff. Fear not, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I'm, I'm going to stand with you on this. I'm going to strengthen you. I will obtain you. I will maintain you. And I will retain you with my righteous son, Jesus. 
Oh, come on, friends. Where do you see your part of the equation here? He said, I'm going to do it all for you. I love it. Through that single scripture right there, I am convinced that my life is grace-fed and grace-finished because I have no obligation based on that scripture alone. Now let's take a look at this word uphold in the Hebrew. It is the Hebrew word tamak, and that's what it means, obtain, maintain, and retain. Now the word tamak in Hebrew has three Hebrew letters. Reading from right to left, you have the tav, the mem, and the kaf. The tav, the mem, and the kaf. What will they say? What word picture will they create? If obtain, maintain, and retain is not good enough for you, let's look in the original Hebrew and see what word picture will develop out of the tav, and the mem, and the kaf. First of all, the tav is the 22nd letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the word picture for tav is the cross. It's the cross. The mem, which is the center letter there, what I love about this letter is, first of all, it refers to water. It refers to living water is what it means. It refers to the spring of water. And what I love about mem, do you notice how it's open at the bottom? You see, the mem can be written one of two ways. It can have a closed mem or it can have an open mem. When we look at a closed body of water like a mud puddle, we know there's no life in that mud puddle, right? You would use a closed mem if you were talking about that kind of water. The wonderful truth that that mem is open right there tells you there's a living spring that's flowing from that mem right there. Isn't that powerful? And then you have the kaf. And the kaf, the essence of what kaf means is it means the power of the spiritual made actual in the physical realm. So what exists in the spiritual realm is manifest in our physical realm. So when we look at this word tamak and we see the cross and we see that spring of living water, the Holy Spirit reminded me of the scripture found in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. This is the account of Jesus meeting the woman at the well in Samaria. Look what it says. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Look at those words. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to give you a mud puddle. I'm going to give you a body of water that has a door on it where it flows in and out. It ebbs and flows and comes and goes, and you're going to continually be refreshed with this. In other words, what he was telling this woman who came to the well with a bucket, he was literally saying to her, I'm not going to just put a bucket inside of you. I'm going to put the entire well on the inside of you. 
And there is an inexhaustible flow and supply of living water. Now it makes sense when Jesus stood in front of those Pharisees on the last day, that great day of the feast, when Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water water, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, that scripture alone, you go, I, I don't get it. I don't get where you're going. Well, when you start taking things like this, and taking it back to the type and shadow in the Old Covenant, you begin to see this wonderful bouquet of goodness that God has always desired to set inside of man. Let me ask you a question. What caused the spring of life to flow from the spiritual into the physical realm? There's the question. I'll tell you what it was. Friends, it is, it was, and it will always be the cross. The cross is what made the difference. We have been obtained, maintained, and retained by God. That means we are led we are fed, and we are wed. That's right. Led to Christ, fed by Christ, wed with Christ. I'd call that a finished work. I don't know what you call it. I call it a finished work. That's what I call it. There are several books of the Bible that contain the peerless revelation that we have been given a grace-fed, grace-finished gospel a gospel that begins and ends with Jesus. A gospel that is upheld by Daddy's righteous right hand. A gospel that has not been contaminated with old covenant hormones and antibiotics. A gospel that is not grace-fed and works finished. A gospel that is not obtained, maintained, or retained by our performance, but rather by His wonderful sacrifice on the cross. Two of my favorite books of the Bible are the books of Romans and the book of Hebrews. And they flourish with these kind of truths that we're talking about, of covenant and grace. But if we were to amputate the book of Galatians from the canon of the scriptures, it would be like hiding the family heirloom beneath the stone foundation of our homes. I know of no other book in the Bible that unveils the grace-fed, grace-finished gospel any better than the book of Galatians. I don't know of one. Now, it is generally accepted, in other words, through the scholars and things like that, that Paul had visited the Galatians at least on two occasions before he wrote the letter to the Galatians, okay? And when Paul visited the Galatians previously, I want to tell you something. He nourished their hearts with the most organic message available. And there you go. It's all organic. You know what organic means? It means full of life. It doesn't have dead stuff in it. It's full of life. That's organic for you. And he nourished their hearts. What would that message sound like? What would that message be? It was the unknown and even unfamiliar truth that they could live grace-fed, grace-finished lives. They no longer had to trust in the law to be saved. Can you imagine that monkey off your back? <laughs> You'd feel like running the 40-yard dash. 
then you'd probably win it. But here's the problem. Paul couldn't stay. Paul was a missionary. Paul had to move around. He had much work to do. And in Paul's absence, Judaizers infiltrated Galatia and insisted that the Galatians could not be Christians apart from circumcision and apart from keeping the law of Moses. The Judaizers basically said, don't listen to Paul. I mean, what does he know? He wasn't one of the original 12 disciples. Now do you get a glimpse why the Apostle Paul opens up the first chapter of Galatians saying, I didn't receive a gospel by man. It's revelation. I received it by Christ. He's already got word that these Judaizers have infiltrated his precious converts. And I'm telling you, he's a little ticked off about this thing. And he's writing a letter to him, and right out of the gate, he's telling him, he said, listen, it was Christ who taught me himself. I received what I received by revelation from Christ. Those guys came along and said, you can't trust Paul. Oh, yeah, you can, because he received it by Christ. So let's take a look for a second, beginning in Acts chapter 15. Let's take a look at kind of the story that I'm talking about, how the Judaizers infiltrated these guys. Certain people came down from Judea. Now, who are those people? They're the Judaizers, right? Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you do something in the natural, you cannot have it in the spiritual. What a dumb thing to say. But you know what? In their defense, they didn't have the book of Galatians yet. Paul just wrote the letter to the Galatians. These Judaizers hadn't read it yet. They hadn't had that revelation. All they had was Old Covenant. I admire someone teaching what they believe. I do. I mean, I admire someone being passionate about what they believe, and if, even if they're wrong. I admire the passion. Let's not be wishy-washy about this thing. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now watch what it says. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Barnabas is Paul's sidekick, right? So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about that question that had arose. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. Yeah. This news made all the believers very glad. And it should. It's supposed to be. It's designed that way to make us very happy, very glad. This news, what news? The gospel, grace. It made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, look at those words, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. You've got to love Peter, don't you? I mean, Paul's the one that's so passionate about this, but this was Peter's territory. 
Peter got up and addressed them. He said, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts, their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Great question, isn't it? And then he says no. And there's an exclamation point next to my Bible. Now, typically when you read in the Hebrew and Greek, you don't see exclamation. You don't see punctuation in there. If they're in there, they've typically been added, but they knew just the way he said this. This had an exclamation point right next to it. No, he said. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. If there was another way to be saved, or if there was something else we needed to do to be saved, or to maintain our salvation, or to retain our salvation, I think Peter missed it. But Peter was done talking. He said, it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. In other words, he's saying there's nothing on our behalf that brought about this. It's through Jesus' grace. So the writer Luke, Luke is writing the book of Acts, tells us plainly through those scriptures right there that our hearts have been purified by faith and that we have been saved through grace. If you were going to boil all those scriptures down, it would be that we have been purified by faith. Our hearts have been purified by faith and we have been saved by grace alone. Did you notice that there was zero compromise from the apostles concerning law and grace? There was no compromise. There was not a, let's split it down the middle. There was no Brady Bunch theology of two families coming together in perfect harmony. No. There was no let's start the believers off with a prairie grass diet and then let's switch it later to a poisonous grain feedlot down the road. No, 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 no. He took a stand. He said, we believe hearts are purified by faith and that you're saved by grace alone. No, Peter said. I love that. No. Peter was familiar with that word, wasn't he? No. What Peter was really saying, he was saying, that family heirloom of religion was a yoke around my own family's neck for generations. But when the truth that I had been obtained, maintained, and retained by his grace alone began to drip on the inside of me. It released a grace-fed, grace-finished gospel in my heart. Peter said, I believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we have been saved. We are grace-led, we are grace-fed, and we are grace-wed to Jesus. Amen? So as the book of Galatians opens, the Apostle Paul is not concerned in the least what they think about him. He could care less what you think about me. I'm starting to get there. I can't say I've totally arrived, 
because it bugs me a little bit yet what you think about me, but I'm a lot further down the road than I was originally. But he could care less what they think about him. His concern is the poison Kool-Aid that the Judaizers are serving to the Galatians. That's what his concern is all about. A Kool-Aid that has a mixture of grape juice and cyanide. That means it tastes good, but it kills you. Or another way to say it, it's a mixture of law and grace. Now listen, I would not make a big deal out of this as a minister, as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, had the Apostle Paul not made a big deal out of it. But because he's got the greatest revelation of grace in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, and he made a big deal out of it, I occasionally make a big deal out of it too. The letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians was both a rebuke and an exhortation. He wanted them to know that the grace that he fed them in the beginning was the same grace that they were to finish with. They were to add or subtract nothing from the gospel. They were to live grace-fed, grace-finished lives. Now here's my question. Why is the Apostle Paul so adamant about not mixing law with grace? I mean, what's the big deal? Why the concern? Think about it for a second. Paul, why are you so strong about this? I'll tell you why. Because the Apostle Paul knows the destructive force of what happens when certain things are mixed together. Now, I've used this example before, but I want to say it again. Valerie has A positive blood, and it works perfect in her body. I have O positive blood, and my blood works perfect in my body. But if you were to take a thimble of her blood and transfuse it into my veins, I would be dead before 1230. Do you see? There are certain things that do not go together. Yet independently, they're fine. Together, no, they're a deadly concoction. That's what Paul is getting at. He's saying, listen, if you want to live by the law, then live by the law. But keep it all, okay? Keep it all. Don't stumble. Keep it all. But if you want to live by grace, then remind yourself you don't need the law to be your helper. What did God say? I'll be your helper. I'm the one that's going to help you. Not the law. Valerie's blood would give my body a hard time. Do you want to know why? Because they're not compatible. If they were compatible, they would get along. You ever find somebody you're not compatible with? You just can't seem to get along. You want to, but you're just not compatible for some reason. Come on, everybody's had somebody like that somewhere in their life. You just can't seem to get along. You're a human, they're a human. You're not compatible in certain ways. Even if I needed a transfusion, it would be foolish for me to say, well, just give me whatever blood type you have. No! I want to tell you something. Christ made us compatible with Him through His blood. He said, by the way, I won't need your blood. I'm just going to give you all of my blood. doesn't matter what blood type you have. We're not going to mix these together. I'm going to dump all my blood inside of you. That precious blood I shed at the cross is going to course its way through your veins and your arteries and your capillaries. I'm giving you a DNA swap. I'm changing everything about you. That's how I can call you a new creation. 
The law works very well if you can keep it. But nobody can. That's why we all need grace. And again, once we receive grace, we no longer need the law as our supervisor. It would just be crazy. I mean, I've worked at places where managers and supervisors have retired or they've moved on, got a different job. And I've seen some of those managers and supervisors come back uh, just to say hi a few months later, a year or two later. But for them to walk back in and tell me what to do, that's ridiculous. You're no longer my supervisor. You were at one time, but that role has changed. Christ is my lover. Christ is my husband. Christ is my all in all. Baking soda and vinegar are great sanitizers and cleaners. But if you mix them together, I guarantee you will change the Constitution and all will be wasted. You know, I learned that in grade school when the teacher said, you guys all got to make a science project. And I took clay and I made myself a volcano. I formed that volcano and I hollowed out that inside and I put baking soda in there. And when it came time to show the whole class, I had my vinegar waiting and I talked about it for a little while. And then I poured my vinegar in that top of that volcano and it just erupted. It came flowing out of there and that was just so cool. I was like the coolest kid in the class that day. It was just erupting there like, whoa, how did you do all that? I'm telling you, I didn't do it. It did it. They don't belong together. You would not take a cup of baking soda and then decide to store vinegar on top of it. Why? Because they're not compatible the way they're made. Ammonia and bleach are two great cleaners. They're two great disinfectants, but mixed together and inhaled cause respiratory failure. What am I saying? I'm saying there's things that do not belong together. And the Apostle Paul had that revelation that no, I will not back down from this thing. They do not belong together. I'm telling you, the next time the enemy or whoever, a well-meaning friend, if I get crazy someday, you tell me no, okay? There's certain things that do not belong together. And I'm telling you, it's law and grace. They do not belong together. You do not need law to govern you. You have the Holy Spirit and you have grace. You say, should I not mix law and grace together because I will lose my salvation? Let's answer that question. You say, Pastor Mark, is that the reason you're telling me don't mix law with grace because I'll lose my salvation? No! Salvation is a finished work. But I'll tell you what you might lose. You might lose your mind. You're not going to lose your salvation. And you might lose your peace. And you might lose your confidence. And you might lose your faith. And you might lose your joy. And you might lose your ability to trust daddy. And you might lose a sense of freedom. And you might lose your boldness. That boldness where we approach the throne of grace. Where we find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. But most of all, I'll tell you what you're going to lose. You're going to lose your rest. We sang about it today. My rest. You're going to lose your rest. You're always going to be on edge. You're always going to be concerned about the cares of this world. No! Cares are what come in and rob you of rest. And why do you have to have all these cares if we know God is with us? And God is for us? 
And God is our helper. And he upholds us. He obtains us, maintains us, and retains us by the righteous right hand of Jesus Christ himself. What do you got to be afraid of? God did not design the plan of salvation to begin with grace and end with law. No, friends, his plan of salvation is grace-fed and grace-finished. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said these words. He said, I love these scriptures. He said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto thee. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now look at those words. He said, Peace I leave with you. Jesus does not give us intermittent peace. He doesn't give us a peace that says, you know what, this kind of works like every other day. You know, this, uh, this works at the beginning of the month. Uh, this works when you're really troubled. No, he said, my peace I leave with you. And he said, my peace I give to you. And he says, not as the world giveth. You say, what do you mean, not as the world giveth? See, the world has a temporary peace, and it has a peace that you earn. Jesus said, no, 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 no. This is not the way it works with me. I leave it with you and I give it to you freely. I love that scripture. Jesus didn't shed his blood, his precious blood, to give us intermittent peace. He shed his blood to give us everlasting peace. He's the everlasting prince of peace. And he can only give you what he has. He can't give you something that he doesn't have. That's called stealing. Because if I was to give something I don't have, that means I'd have to get it from somebody else. He gives you what he has. He is the prince of peace, and his peace is everlasting. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we find these words. There remains then a Sabbath rest, or another way to say it, a Sabbath peace. Peace and rest are essentially the same. They're interchangeable. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. What works are we talking about? Works that will make you holy. Works that will make you self-righteous. Works that will make you bigger in the eyes of God. You're as big as you're going to get in the eyes of God. Now, let's take a look at our grace-fed, grace-finished gospel as we're moving to the backside of the message. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, the Apostle Paul said these words out of the New American Standard Bible. It reads this way. This is the letter he's writing to the Galatians. He said, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Or another way it says, which is really no gospel at all. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. And that word accursed literally means he is to be banned. He is to be excommunicated. So if someone comes into your church and preaches a gospel that is different than what the Apostle Paul preached, he says you ban him from ever coming back here again. 
And if he's in your church and he's preaching that way, then you excommunicate him. You've got to deal with the rotten spot on the potato, okay? Paul said this. Why? Because, again, he knows there's things that don't belong together. We think a little dab will do you, but that's a Brill Cream commercial. A little dab of law will not do you in this kingdom. We need zero law. There are no lines to blur. There's no fuzziness here. Let me draw a word picture in your head. Imagine you go home today, and tonight when you're watching the world news, they flash your city and state up on the screen, and suddenly it's got your attention. And in that news flash, it says, we want you to know that in this city, the city you live in, yesterday, 100 men came through your city. And those 100 men all had mason jars, so 100 mason jars. And those mason jars were stuffed full of ticks, T-I-C-K-S, ticks. Each one of them were carrying Lyme disease. And they released those ticks all over your city. I want to ask you a question. Would you be a little concerned about stepping outside? Lyme disease is a nasty disease. It's debilitating. What the Apostle Paul is saying here, he said you'd be better off to have a hundred men go through the city with a jar full of ticks with Lyme disease than to mix law with grace. He was saying mixing law with grace is more deadly and will hurt you more. You can live free. You can live with joy. You can live with passion when you're not under the demands of the law. Now, let's look at the same scriptures I just read for you, Galatians 1, 6-9. Let's look at them through the message translation because it just really clears some things up. <laughs> I can't believe your fickleness. How easily you have turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ by embracing a variant message. When he says variant message, what he's talking about, he's talking about an alternate message, a modified message. He's talking about a message that had contaminated corn in it. That's the kind of message he's talking about here. It is not a minor variation. Please underscore those words in your heart this morning. He said, this is no small deal. This is not a minor variation. You know, <laughs> you know, it is completely other. An alien message, a no message, a lie about God. I'm telling you what, that is so true right there. If someone tells you you've got to do anything to maintain your salvation and keep it, or that you could be lost in the end, you say, that's a lie about God. You just don't understand the scriptures. Now listen, I'm not encouraging you to pick fights with anybody. I don't go around picking fights with anybody. I spent four or five hours yesterday in somebody else's home telling people about the gospel of grace. And one right after that, I told Valerie when I left home yesterday, I said, you know what, I'll only be gone 45 minutes to an hour. But one after another came in front of me. And I stood there and I told him about the precious gospel of grace. He says it's not a minor variation, you know. It is completely other, an alien message, a no message, a lie about God. He said those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. Let me be blunt. If one of us, even an angel from heaven, were to preach something other than what we preached originally, let him be cursed. Someone comes along and just all their emphasis is on just church growth hormones, antibiotics, law and grace. He said right there, let it be cursed. 
He said, I said it once, I'll say it again. If anyone, regardless of reputation or credentials, preaches something other than what you received originally, let him be cursed. Let him be banned. Let him be excommunicated from you. So what was the message that the Apostle Paul preached to them originally? I'm asking that question. What was that message? Because he doesn't tell them that when he opens up the book of Galatians, but he's writing to the people he preached it to, so they'll know, right? They know. What was that message the Apostle Paul originally preached to them? He preached the gospel, which was our lives have been obtained, maintained, and retained by grace through faith alone. It's the power of the cross, the spring of life, that spring of water that wells up on the inside of us, releasing the power of the spiritual realm into this physical realm that we live in. So now we understand that our Christian walk means we continually feed on grace. It's not a one-time feeding up front and then you quit feeding. No, we continually feed and saturate our hearts and our souls and our minds and our emotions and even our will with the gospel of grace. Grace fed, but now let's take a look at the scriptures that give us the promise of grace finished in closing. Now, I want to say this. Now, there are a lot of things that I have done in life that had a great start, but a poor finish. <laughs> and then there are things in life that I had a great start and no finish. But it's not that way with the gospel of grace. It has a great start, and it has a great finish. Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 25. Dear brothers, even in everyday life, a promise made by one man to another, if it is written down and signed, cannot be changed. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus signed the new covenant with his blood, and nothing can change it. Do you see that? That's what the Apostle Paul was getting at. He's talking about covenant here. And he's saying when that covenant got signed, what did it get signed with? Well, it wasn't a ballpoint pen. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, when that covenant got signed, he said, it cannot be altered. It cannot be changed. He cannot decide afterward to do something else instead. In other words, the gospel has no PS to it. No, by the way, to it. It's complete. He said it right the first time around. We just didn't hear it. We just didn't understand it. We didn't receive it. Now, God gave some promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that it doesn't say the promises were to his children as it would if all of his sons, all the Jews were being spoken of, but to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. Here's what I'm trying to say. He said God's promise to save through faith. And God wrote this promise down and signed it could not be canceled or changed 430 years later when God gave the Ten Commandments. What is he saying? He's saying if you go back to Abraham when God made the promise to Abraham, Moses hadn't been thought of yet. Not in the natural anyway. But 430 years later when God gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, it didn't change God's promise to Abraham. This promise was by faith and grace. Abraham did nothing to earn this promise. It was by faith and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He said, if obeying those laws could save us, 
then it is obvious that this would be a different way of gaining God's favor than Abraham's way, for he simply accepted God's promise. Why don't we do that? We've got so much more revelation. Maybe that's part of the problem. We've got too much information. But I'm telling you, I'm challenging you today when you walk out of here is to remember that I have been obtained, maintained, and retained by God. So you can say whatever you want to say. I don't have a problem with you in per se, but you're not going to change what I believe. Wow. If obeying those laws could save us, then it is obvious that this would be a different way of gaining God's favor than Abraham's way, for he simply accepted God's promise. Well then, why were the laws given? And he tells you why the law was given. They were added after the promise was given to show men how guilty they are of breaking God's laws. It wasn't like plan A didn't work, let's come up with plan B and let's keep finding it and taking it to where we find pain uh, in this thing. No, it was to make man realize that you've broken my laws. If there's no law posted, you don't know when you're breaking the law. I've been on streets before and I'm like, what is the speed limit on this thing? I think it's 55 and all of a sudden you see a 40. I'm like, oh, sorry about that. And God's reason for the law was not to make man holy. It was to show man he's an ultimate failure apart from God and he needs his grace. That's what it was for. They were added after the promise was given to show men how guilty they are of breaking God's laws. But this system of law was to last only Look at that, until the coming of Christ. Oh, friends, highlight that in your heart this morning. They were only in place until the coming of Christ. Has he came? Absolutely. The child to whom God's promise was made. And there is this further difference. God gave his laws to angels to give to Moses, who then gave them to the people. But when God gave his promise to Abraham, he did it by himself alone, without angels, without Moses, and without the go-betweens. Well then, are God's laws and God's promises against each other? Of course not. If we could have been saved by his laws, then God would have not had to give us a different way to get out of this grip of sin, for the scriptures insist that we are its prisoners. The only way out is through faith in Jesus Christ, the way of escape is open, like the mem, the spring of living water. It's open. It was closed at one time, but it's been made open. And that's part of why Jesus was open in his side when the spear was thrust up through his side. He was saying, the mem is open. That's why blood and water came out of his side, indicating the mem has been opened. The well of living water has been opened. Who's it open to? To all who believe Him. I believe Him. Do you believe Him today? I believe Him. Until Christ came, we were guarded by the law, kept in protective custody, so to speak, until we could believe in the coming Savior. What do you mean, until the coming Savior? Until the coming Savior's last words from the cross, it is finished. Friends, the wonderful truths that flow from the open spring of life are these. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved, and unearned favor of God. We are to spend our Christian lives feeding in green pastures of grace and being led by those living waters. 
We don't need old covenant injections because all they do is turn the message of the gospel of Christ on its head. That's all they do. We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we have been saved by grace through faith alone. We are obtained, maintained, and retained because of his cross. He has given us a grace-fed, grace-finished life in Christ. Daddy, I want to thank you for this word this morning. I have stood here, and from the depths of my heart, I have preached it the way I live it. I want to thank you, Father, that this body that you have here and there is so blessed to have this revelation. Daddy, the law can be so sneaky at times. It tries to creep back in on us. I thank you, Father, that you've put the creaky wooden floors behind us so that we can recognize it when it tries to come. And we can say, I rebuke you. I listen to the heart of my Jesus. And my Jesus says, I have been obtained by his precious blood. I am maintained by his precious blood. And I am retained by his precious blood. In Jesus' name, amen.